Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. We'd like to give you an update before we get started, um, because I feel it's important that we do this. Um, One of the young ladies who gave her heart to Jesus at Bible school this last year, uh, Kennedy Martin, we've been... uh, I've been communicating with the pastor where her family goes to church uh, since Bible school last year and, uh, and going back and forth, meeting with them and their family some. And uh, praise Jesus, she's following the Lord in believer's baptism this morning. So I want to pass that on to you. Now, after Bible school, we made a covenant to pray uh, for those children that gave their heart to Jesus. So some of you have been praying for Miss Kennedy since that time. And so I just wanted to keep the church updated as to what was going on there. But if you have your Bibles this morning, turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. All right, turn to Matthew, which is at the very beginning of the New Testament, and then back up five books. All right, so turn to Matthew and then back up about five books to the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And you say, well, preacher, why did you tell us to do it that way? Because I wanted to save some of you the awkward time looking in your table of contents, wondering who Habakkuk was. And because if I had just said turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, I'd have been on the third point of the sermon before some of you found it. Some of you still don't know what I'm talking about. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now, I'm just kidding. I don't want anybody to leave out of here and say, preacher said I didn't know nothing about the Bible this morning. I ain't never going back to that church. He made fun of me. Um, I'm not saying anything about your Bible knowledge. I'm sure you knew where Habakkuk was. But if you didn't, start in Matthew. Go back five books. And the title of this morning's message is What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Uh, We turn to a kind of a peculiar text in Scripture and the context of which it is written. It's dealing with something that I believe that we can all relate to Uh, If we'll just be honest with one another in one way or another in our life, we can all relate to the time that we're dealing with here. This this scripture is a response to what we would call a dire circumstance. We'll see that in just a moment. And as we descend into the depths of these final three verses of this book, I ask you this question to kind of set the stage as we dive into the scripture. Have you ever been to the place where you just simply did not know what to do? You just simply did not know where to turn. You didn't know what was going to happen next. Uh, You could title this message uh, not just what to do when you don't know what to do, but you could say what to do when things can't get worse. That might be a way to to, kind of drive your attention there. What to do when life throws you the curveballs. What to do when life gives you lemons, so to speak. What to do when you're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of your rope in your marriage. You're at the end of your rope in your relationships. You're at the end of your rope in your finances. You're at the end of your rope in your job. You're at the end of your rope in in some area. Maybe it's your health, whatever it is. What do you do when you find yourself at the very end of that rope and you just don't know what else to do? And that's what we're going to be dealing with this morning. So let us all stand as we honor the reading of what we believe to be no less than the Holy Word of God from the book of Habakkuk. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, 
Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you realizing that if anything's going to happen in this place this morning, it's going to be because of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. God, we come to you realizing that there's not a person in this house that needs to hear a sermon from Jason Mull. But God, they need to hear a word from you. And so God, let nothing said or done this morning take away from the majesty and glory that you are, Lord God. That we would look back at the end of this service and say, we made a big deal out of Jesus this morning, Lord God. God, you have your way and your will in our hearts. We will give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Now, what we're reading here in chapter 3 is Habakkuk, as he learns of the coming judgment of Israel, and he kind of he prays for mercy from God. He gets kind of a response from God that God's going to deliver them, that God's going to judge them, but he's going to deliver them. And Habakkuk finds himself at the end of this kind of just responding with a praise to God, saying, this is my praise to you. Now, in this book of Habakkuk, it's been written in, there's three chapters to it. And essentially, if you really wanted to, you could break down the three chapters of the book of Habakkuk into kind of three very neat sermon points. This is how I know that Brother Habakkuk was a Baptist. All right, He wrote a three-point... Never mind. Any preachers in the house, you understand what I just said. Okay. So, the first chapter, Habakkuk is kind of saying, God, how long will you tarry? God, do you see what your people are doing? God, do you see what's going on here? God, uh, the people are living in moral decay. The people are, are doing things. And I, I just, God, what are you, why aren't you judging? God, what are you going to do? You see, the time that he writes this book, you could say that they were living in sin like nobody's business. Sin was rampant. There was immorality. There was self-serving. All these things were going on in the time of Habakkuk. Uh, they were living in moral cesspools. They were taking part in the sinful world around them. The people of God no longer looked like the people of God, but instead just looked like more sinful people. You might could say that the time in which Habakkuk is writing is not much different than the time we live in today. That, that the decay of the world is, is so pronounced and so uh, far around us. In chapter 1, Habakkuk finds himself saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? Why, why aren't you doing anything to these people? Why are you letting them... Live this way because Habakkuk understood something about the nature of God. He understood that God couldn't allow sin to go unpunished. And so he's looking, he said, God, why? Why are you not doing anything? Chapter 2, though, we would find a response from God. God would say, I, I am doing something, Brother Habakkuk. I am doing something. You don't see it because I'm doing it in the other nations. I'm rising the kings up. I'm rising the armies up. And what they're going to do is they're going to come and take you captive. You, you and all of my people, they're going to come and they're going to overthrow and they're going to take you captive. And Habakkuk almost in chapter 3 says, I wish I wouldn't asked. Uh, I wish I wouldn't have asked you what you were going to I liked it better when I didn't know what you were doing. And so Habakkuk, though, really in chapter 3 says, well, God, 
in light of your judgment, will you show mercy? Will you show us some grace? Will you show some mercy to your people? And God reveals to Habakkuk that even though deliverance is coming, that even though the hand of judgment is coming, there will be a promise fulfilled that he will keep his people, that he will provide for his people. He will deliver them. And so Habakkuk closes with these three verses in light of the fact that he knows that judgment is coming, but that he knows that the promise of God is going to come through. And so in verse 17, the first thing we're going to see is the challenge that they faced, the challenge that they prayed. So though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there'll be no herd in the stalls. He says here of the challenge that they face, the first thing he points out is that there's not going to be any food. There's not going to be any food. The fruit, it won't be there. The fig tree... It will not blossom. Now, anyone that knows much about a fig tree, how many fig tree farmers do I have in here this morning? All right. Well, so I'm going to tell you something about a fig tree. Some of you may already know. The blossom on the fig tree is the fig, okay? So when he says that the fig tree won't blossom, he's saying there's not going to be any figs on the fig tree. Now, unless you're the one person here that likes the Fig Newton cookie, that might not mean much to you. Furthermore, is the Fig Newton even a cookie? Let's just be honest. Shortbread with jelly in the middle doesn't seem like a cookie to me. Oreos seem like a cookie to me. But unless you're the person here that really like, you guys are going to have to get with it or I'm going to preach all day long. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. All right. So the fig tree wouldn't produce fruit. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us. But what I want you to realize is, is in the culture that we're talking about here in the Middle East in this time, that was a big deal because the fig was so plentiful. It was everywhere. The fig, it was a major source of food for them. It was a major source of protein. And they would not only eat the fig itself, but they would also mash the fig into kind of a a fig preserves kind of deal and put it on food that was less desirable and kind of eat it like a condiment. And so what it would do is it would allow them to, to enhance their food supply by having the figs because they had so many. And so Habakkuk says, there's not going to be any figs. There's going to be no food. There'd be no fruit. Don't you think about that with me for a minute. There'd be no fruit to eat, but if there's no fruit on the vine, then there's also no wine to drink. So so he's saying there's going to be no, no figs. There's going to be no fruit, so there's going to be no fruit of the vine. Now, the wine in their day was, was a lower content of alcohol than the wine of our day. But the biggest thing that I think Habakkuk is saying when he says there's going to be no fruit on the vine, there's going to be no wine, that would have been the way that they purified their contaminated water. And so he's saying there's going to be no figs, there's going to be no fruit of the vine, there's going to be no clean water to drink because you're not going to be able to clean your water up. The fields are not going to produce so your cattle... Are not go, your livestock are not going to provide meat. So you're not going to have any figs. You're not going to have any fruits. You're not going to have any wine. You're not going to have any water. You're not going to have any meat. And kind of as he writes that, I can kind of hear the people. As he says, well, there's going to be no figs. And they say, well, that's okay. We'll just eat the other fruit. And he says, well, no, there's, there's not going to be fruit either. And they say, that's okay. We'll drink our wine and eat our bread. And he says, no, 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 no. You're not going to have any wine because there's not going to be any fruit. There's not going to be any grain. There's not going to be any bread. There's not going to be any meat. You're not going to have 
any food to eat. There's something else, though, that he says here in verse 17. Not only will there be no food, there's, there's going to be no finances. The labor of the olive shall fail. The labor of the olive shall fail. What he's saying, you see, the, the fig, you know, I said it grew everywhere. There was actually a law in this time that if you were hungry and you wanted to pluck a fig off of your buddy's fig tree, that was completely allowable. There were fig trees everywhere. So there was really nothing to stop you from just grabbing a fig wherever you walked by. But olives, on the other hand, to make the olive oil and to press those out, that was a, a laborious task. That was a big deal. So they had to work hard for the olive crop. And so it was a, a big deal, and they would make the olive oil, and this is how, uh, you know, like, like oil today, when you think of the Middle East, you think of their, their finances being based on oil. Well, in this day, it was a different kind of oil. It was more from olive oil. So they would press the olives, they would get the olive oil, and that would be what they had in plenty to go out and trade to get the things they didn't have. And so they would trade to countries that had other things, and they would get the stuff that they didn't have readily available. They would sell it, and they would kind of have financial gain as a result of that. So when Habakkuk says, you're not going to have any food, the crop of the olive is going to fail, he was also saying, you're going to be broke. Right, so this was a big deal. He says the olive is going to fail. You're not going to provide financially. You're going to be hungry and you're going to be broke. How many people in here have ever been broke and hungry? Don't lie to me. In this country we live in today, very few of us ever understood what it means to be truly broke or truly hungry. But he's saying everything's going to fail that you stand on. But when he talks about the herd in the end, he's also not just talking about a problem that's happening right now with the food and the finances. He's talking about a problem that's going to play out in the future. There'll be no herd in the stalls. It doesn't just mean there's a problem right now. He's talking about a problem that's going to last for generations. It would take them time to rebuild a herd. I don't know how many livestock farmers we have here, but if you had nothing and you had to suddenly create a new herd without having the funds to go buy numerous cattle, you would have to have generations that were raised for breeding and not for eating so that you could eventually replenish your field so that you could eat again. And so he's saying these problems that we're taking over, they're not just going to be a problem right now. They're going to be a problem that's going to, to rake out in perpetual times forward. Kind of think about it like this. If I told you that I was saving for the future, now that might mean that I am saving to take my wife out on a date next Friday night. That might mean that I'm saving to take my family on a vacation in June. That might mean that I'm saving to buy a car in two years. That might mean that I'm saving to do buy a house in five years. Right? So you understand the thought of the future. And what Habakkuk is saying here is, is, guys, this problem that we're running into now as a result of our sinful life, it's not just going to stop with us. It's not going to end right here. It's going to play out throughout the future. And imagine the way that they felt hearing these words. I never realized this until I became a pastor. But sometimes when you say things up here that you know the people out there don't want to hear, you see some funny faces looking back at you. And I can only imagine as Habakkuk stood up and said, All right, guys, we're going to be hungry. The stock market's going to crash. We're not going to have any money. And our kids are going to suffer as a result of what we've done. 
Can you imagine the scowl that he got from the people? You're crazy. Another one of them old crazy men of God preaching gloom and doom because he doesn't know what else to do. Now think about 2017. These things that we're doing now, this challenge that we're dealing with now has the potential to affect our children moving forward. Has the potential to affect our children moving forward. You say, well, that's just, now you're, you're preaching like crazy Habakkuk. You're using that old crazy preacher talk. Am I? Maybe we won't have a time of famine. Maybe. Maybe we won't have another stock market crash like what we've had in the past. Maybe. Likely we will. But maybe we won't get to the point that we're flat, broken, busted like they were going to be in Habakkuk's time. Maybe the financial ruin won't pour out upon our children. Maybe it will. But can I just say this? Sometimes God uses times of emptiness in our life, like an empty stomach or an empty wallet or an empty health or an empty something, to draw us closer to him. And if you think that he won't bring you to that point today, you're just fooling yourself. You say, preacher, how does it affect my children? Because I know I'm a dad. When you talk about affecting my children moving forward, you touch a chord with me. So what do you mean going to affect my children, affect my future generations? We're not doing anything now that will affect our future generations, but I ask you to think back. Because we stood as a church virtually silent while abortion went from something that people had to search long and hard to find a place to do it to now there's not a town in America where a young lady can't go procure an abortion with a minimum amount of effort. You don't think that affects our children moving forward? The sins of our generation affect our children. Now, how many children were not born that, that were made? How many of our children's friends will get abortions? How much more prevalent will it be in their life that they have to learn to deal with helping young women cope with the fact that they did this in their life? And so, yes, that decision for us to stand back, we stood back and said, well, as long as they don't push it on me, I'm not going to stand in their way. But what happened is it just got worse and worse and worse while we stood inside the church getting more and more and more quiet. And now it is going to affect the future generations of this country. We stood by, we didn't push too hard when they took prayer out of school. We said, well, Johnny and Susie, you can just pray silently during the moment of silence. They can't take you away from God. And we sat silently while they took prayer out, while they took the word of God out. And what happened when we did that? Yes, Johnny and Susie can pray during the moment of silence. I have the privilege of going in this county to, to different student-led organizations and bringing the Word of God before and after school throughout the months. I'm so happy to be a part of those student-led organizations that the Word of God does still go into the schools in some capacity. But, but we allowed those things to happen. We sat quietly and said, Johnny, Susie, you can still pray during the moment of silence. And what continued to happen, though, was that as God was removed from the schoolhouse, suddenly the curriculum began to change right under our nose, didn't it? To where now a teacher can't teach science as if creation is even a real theory. But they can teach evolution as if it's the accepted means. 
And we just kind of stood back. You don't think that it's going to affect our children, what we're doing today, the sins of our generation, the way that we've turned a blind eye. We've stood back while marriage has been redefined by our government. And we said things like, only God's word can define marriage. I don't care what the government says. And that's, I said that as well. But how's it going to affect our children that when we don't make that stand? When we don't make that stand anymore? How does it affect our children? Well, now our children are going to be called hate mongers when they stand on the word of God's definition of marriage. Because we kind of said, well, just let them do what they want to do as long as they don't bring it in here. Let them do what they want to do. And so we do have challenges today where we look at our lives and if we'll just be honest, we'll realize that the things that we deal with today, if we don't turn to God and make a stand, they are going to affect our children and our children's children moving forward generation by generation. And so don't turn a blind eye to what Habakkuk says about the cattle in the stalls and it being a problem in perpetuity. Just realize that the things that we deal with today, if we don't deal with them correctly, are going to affect our children. So not only the challenge that he faced, because the book of Habakkuk is not just a book of calamity, it's also a book of commitment. There's also the creed that he followed. Now that word creed is a faith or a system that you adhere to. And so Habakkuk, as he gets to verse 18, he kind of says, you know, verse 17 is, is a gloom and doom kind of verse, isn't it? No, we're broke, we're, we're hungry, we don't got nothing. Uh, the Babylonians are coming, the Chaldeans are coming, things are coming. God's going to smite us. He's going to bring his judgment for our sins. And things are going to be bad. And he gets to verse 18 and he kind of stands on his faith. Kind of give us an encouragement in verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That word rejoice, I think better translates as trust. Yet I will trust in God. Because in order to rejoice in him, you have to trust in him as well. I think they go hand in hand. But he says, I'm going to trust God even though... We're going to be judged. Even though this is coming, even though things are bad, I'm going to trust in him. And it kind of starts, I think, with Habakkuk looking around. Because I think that's what he's doing in verse 17. I think Habakkuk was a guy that was trying to gather his facts as he, as he wrote this book. He's trying to kind of look around and make sure that as he passes his judgment on the situation, he's gathered all the facts. So in order to do that, the first thing he does is he kind of begins to look around and just observe the things that are going on. Observe what is happening and what is coming. But then in verse 18, I think he kind of looks somewhere else. So first he kind of looks around in verse 18. He kind of starts to look up, doesn't he? And it kind of starts with these two words. I want us to focus on just two words in verse 17 and 18, okay? The first word is though, as he starts 17. So the first thing he does, he kind of looks around. He acknowledges with though. Kind of though is looking at what's going on. And so he says, though, this is going on. And then in 18, he kind of starts to look up with the word yet. God desires for his people. God desires for us to live 
in light of the though, looking forward to the yet. Make sure you get that. God desires for His people, that's you and, and me, anybody that calls themselves a child of God. He desires for us to live in light of the though, looking forward to the yet. Here's what I mean. Habakkuk looked around, he said, things are going on, it's, it's bad, there's bad things going on, it's going to get worse, things are really bad. He didn't say these things aren't happening, right? He, di- he didn't say, oh, well, that's not really going on. I heard a, a famous televangelist one time preaching in, in television and there were hundreds of people sitting out, maybe thousands in this congregation, and he says, 25 years of ministry and I've never been sick. Sure, Satan has tried to manifest symptoms of sickness in my life on occasion like scratchy throats, but I've never been sick because I never claimed that sickness. Can I just tell you something this morning? If your throat is scratchy and you have a 103 temperature, you can claim it whatever you want to claim it to be, but you're sick, okay? And so this guy is not responding like Habakkuk. Habakkuk looks around and he doesn't say... Well, yeah, we're not going to have any figs, but we're going to be okay. We don't have any of this, but, but, but I'm just going to claim that there's going to be more food. He, he didn't throw his wallet down on the table and say, there's no money in it now, but fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up. Well, if I just name it, it's going to happen. Fill up, fill up. No, no, Habakkuk looked at it. He threw his wallet on the table. He said, there's nothing in it, and there may not be anything make its way to it. Though I'm broke, yet I will rejoice. Though this looks bad, yet I'm going to trust in God anyway. You might say Habakkuk says, yeah, it looks bad, but they ain't dug a grave yet. The old timers used to tell me that. Had several old timers when I was in a state of complaint and say, Son, they ain't dug your grave yet. They ain't dug your grave yet. That's kind of what Habakkuk's saying. Yeah, it looks bad. Not going to lie to you, folks. It don't look good for us. But I'm going to trust God anyway because I believe that I can stand on His promise that He's going to deliver us. How often do we miss out on the best things that God intends for us because we're too busy focusing on what we think we can do to change the all those in our life? How often do we miss out on the yet because we're too busy focusing on the although? What Habakkuk says is although is, is what it is. It's happened. You're sick. You're broke. Your child's in rebellion. Your marriage is falling apart. Yet, I will trust in God. See, although will tell you what you're in, yet will tell you what you're in for. Although says where you are, yet tells you where God is going to take you. Although tells you what's coming at you, yet tells you who's coming for you. We got to quit focusing on although as if the circumstances around us 
have any control over anything and start focusing on yet and realize that only God above is in control of these situations. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4.8, although we're troubled on every side, yet we'll be not distressed. Job in 19 and 26 would say, although the worms feed on my flesh. Job was saying, although I may die and be buried, if you were to dig me up, you would find that the worms were eating on my flesh. Although that is the case, don't cry for me. Because even though I may be dead, yet I will be praising God. So don't you feel sorry for me for what happened. Job is telling us what happens on this earth. It's not worth our worry and our distress because can I just ask you a question? How many of you have ever worried something better? Didn't think so. I knew the answer to that before I asked it because God's word says you can't worry something better. You can only faith something better. We cannot live in the although and expect to ever get to the yet. There's somebody here this morning that God's calling you right now to get out of the although and live in the yet. He's calling you right now to get out of the although and live in the yet. Let me bring it down. There's somebody here this morning who's looking at their life and saying there's no hope. My kids are gone. My marriage is falling apart. I'm flat broke and busted. I don't know where my paycheck's going to come from. When the paycheck gets here, I don't know how it's going to cover the bills. I don't know which way to go. I'm at the end of my rope. Somebody here is at the end of their rope. And what God is calling you to do right now is to stand on faith, look up to him, and quit living in that circumstance and start living for God. Yet, I will trust in him. Though the world be crumbling, if God be for me, who can be against me? Man. Let's move to the third point this morning. I'm going to be gracious to you. We were going to preach a little more out of verse 18, but we're going to move on to verse 19. Finally, as we close, we'll see first the challenge that he faced, second the creed that he followed, and finally the contentment that he found. Look at the contentment that Habakkuk found. The Lord God is my strength. He'll make my feet like the deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels. Habakkuk here is quoting from Psalms, 1833, as, as David wrote that God would make his feet like the deer's and essentially what they're saying here with this language is in that terrain, in that region, in that mountainous, hilly area, the animals had to have a strong hind quarter to navigate over the rocky terrain and be able to, to move around and weave around and do those things. And what he's saying is that I'm going to trust in God that he is going to provide me with what I need to get through this terrain. God is going to give me the strength that I need to get through this if I'll only depend on him. Think about those deer and those animals. What, what Habakkuk is really saying is they have, they've been placed in this region and God gave them everything that they needed to get around in this region. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us what? To consider what? The lilies. Consider the sparrows. 
They come down here and I've provided everything that they need to survive. I've never seen a sparrow with a refrigerator. They don't store things up holding on because they know that God is going to provide for them every day. And yet as people, he says, "What don't you think if he would clothe the fields that he would not so take care of you? That he would not so love you that he would provide for you? Do you not think that you rank above the sparrow? Look at his creation account. When he got to man, he said that we were in his own image. He didn't say that about the sparrow. He didn't say that the sparrow was the crown jewel of his creation. He said that was man. So don't you think if he takes care of the birds and the deer and he provides them the way to navigate their terrain that, they, that he won't more take care of you? That he can't provide you the strength to get through whatever it is that you're dealing with? But we stay in the all though, don't we? See, if you just read verse 17, Habakkuk doesn't end on a good note, does it? But if you move from verse 17 to verse 19, you realize that although doesn't matter, whatever happens in verse 17 is not important because when you trust in God, He'll be your strength. He'll provide you what you need to get where you're going. When you trust Him, He'll give you the ability. When you lean on Him, He'll give you what you need to get through. And I kind of like the closing. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Don't nobody go tell the Church of Christ that there were stringed instruments, okay? Nobody tell them. But for the rest of us, we can know that as Habakkuk gave his hymn of closing that God's going to be my strength that I'm going to trust him in spite of all the things that are going on around me Habakkuk couldn't help but sing a little bit as his children this morning I want to ask you this question about your life today can you sing not can you sing on key that's very important can you sing is your life in such a place that you can praise God with song? That, that you can say, God is my strength. God is my ever-present refuge. God is my strong tower. God is my cornerstone. God has got me under his wing. Because if you can't say that this morning, you're living in the although. And you haven't gotten to the yet. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? First thing is, you live in the reality that things are bad. But you stand on the promise that things can be good. Let us pray. Father God, God, we stand before you and we realize that just as you inspired the prophet Habakkuk, Lord God, you press upon all of our lives this morning that we have struggles and we have problems and sometimes we get to the place that we do not know what to do, Lord God. We just don't know what to do. And God, we thank you that in your word, you have proclaimed to us through the prophet Habakkuk that we can recognize that things are bad, but we can also 
live on the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, Lord God. We can stand on the faith that the fact that we stand here this morning says, you've never left us behind, Lord God. And so God, for someone here who's facing the situation that they don't know how they're going to face, Lord God, help them to realize that by laying it at your feet and trusting in you, that's the only way they'll get through, Lord God. God, for that lost soul here this morning, who's never trusted in you, whose life has been in shambles, who has run around wondering, Lord God, why there's a hole, God, press upon their heart and convict them that you are the only one that can fill that hole, Lord Jesus. You're the only one that can provide that peace and give them the courage to accept your free gift of forgiveness this morning. God, be glorified. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.